I'm delighted to introduce to you tonight Robert and Katrina Barton. They went with us on our trip to the Holy Land last summer, and they've agreed to offer their witness tonight. So wherever you are, I encourage you to make them feel welcome tonight. Robert, it's a lot easier to talk to a congregation of nobody out there but pictures. Good evening, our Bethany virtual peeps. <laughs> so when Sherry reached out to the people that uh, went on the Holy Land trip this last summer, she asked us if we could talk about something you know meaningful, really, really impactful for us. And, and in my mind, I was going to talk about do a field trip, which I knew wasn't right. But I thought, you know, I, I have something really good. I really want to talk about the Sea of Galilee and Capernaum and... Ramona Hovey talked about that when we kicked off the season, so I had to scratch that off my list. And then um, two weeks ago, Daniel Clifton talked about um, our, our, our guide on the trip, Mike, and I thought, oh, that was a good one. I should have done that. But Katrina yeah. said, I really want to talk about Qumran in, the, in Jericho, and um, I said, we could do that, and we can talk about the, uh, uh, our baptism, too, baptism renewal in the Jordan River. So that's what we intend to talk about tonight, and if you will join me in a word of prayer. O Lord, let the words of our mouths and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Amen. So when Sherry strong-armed us into this, um, we, we did have a discussion because we really wanted to present something that would um, not only in part upon what an amazing trip it was, but to, um, I think the, the theme is to walk in Jesus' footsteps. I don't know if we actually walked in his footsteps, but I felt his presence. So I'm going to talk a little bit about Qumran. Qumran is, um, it's south of Jericho, about uh, one mile off the northwestern corner of the Dead Sea. So if you see Jericho up there, follow the red path down where that first triangle is, is about where Qumran is, somewhere close to there. And um, kind of remember this relationship because we're going to come back to the, the distance between Bethlehem, you see up there, and Qumran, where the little triangle is, and the path around that red road. Uh, so y'all remember that, we're coming back to it. So almost directly west of Qumran, uh, over what's called the Moral Plateau, is the city of Bethlehem. And as we stood on a peak just west of the Dead Sea, you see down there on the south end, just west of the Dead Sea, uh, we could look out and see um, this uh, caves where the Dead Sea Scrolls were discovered. So um, these scrolls uh, were found and then right around 1947, and then between 1947 and 1956, the caves in the area were excavated and uh, they did a lot of interesting things from it. By a, the guy's name was Roland DeVoe. He was kind of the one responsible for the full excavation. So the scrolls were hidden around in caves. They think they were planted or stored there sometime between 66 and 70 A.D. So this was shortly after Jesus' death. It was uh, around the time when the temple was the, the first Jewish revolt against Rome, and the temple was destroyed. In the caves, they found approximately 900 manuscripts, and about 100 of those were biblical texts, which um, included the entire Old Testament except for the book of Esther. The other manuscripts that they found were some Jewish law, some rules of daily life, and things like that, but there was one really well, remarkably preserved 
scroll that had the 12 minor prophets on them. And if you look at our Bible today, they were virtually identical to how our Bible is written today compared to these scrolls. That's why they're so important. Um, it took about 10 years to find all of the scrolls and on about five major different sites and about 11 different caves. The most famous, famous of these areas are Qumran and um, Masada. So the edifice that you see, can you go back a picture? The edifice that you see here is uh, the first cave. It sits in what's called the Wadi Qumran. So the Wadi is the dry riverbed. This is the Marl Plateau. And if you look across the other side, you're going to see Bethlehem. Behind me, as we're taking this picture, is the Dead Sea, just to kind of give you some orientation. If you stand where we're standing, turn around and look across the Dead Sea, you see the Jordan Desert. And Mike, our guide, encourages to imagine Moses standing there, looking out over what was to be the promised land, and he wasn't going to get there. As, uh, so I have a story. What I want to talk to you all about is the miracles that I, that I realized while we were there. So, as Mike told the story, I, I, did, I actually did try to verify and validate everything he told us, because he's a great storyteller. And so, I found most of everything he said that was exactly the way he said it. A few things, I don't know if they were embellished, but I'm going to tell you the story he told us, and then take it for what it's worth that most of it's true. So he said, in 1947, there was a shepherd boy from Bethlehem. He was tending his sheep as he walked from Bethlehem to Qumran. So remember the Red Road? It was about a 35-mile trek. And he's tending sheep. So what we learned when we were there is that people who tend sheep, they live with their sheep for months and months and maybe even years. And they just follow their sheep. I don't know if y'all have ever worked with sheep. I have. They're not the smartest animals in the toolbox there. But they, um, you have to just follow them wherever they go. And so 35 miles of following these sheep around the, the Marl Plateau, they end up, uh, he's got his sheep, and they end up somewhere near these caves. Um, keep in mind also this little boy would have had to, I say little boy, we don't know his age, but he was very young. He would have had to have fed himself and taken care of himself and all these things while on this 35-mile trek to Qumran and then back to Bethlehem at some point. So he's looking up and he sees a crevice that looks a little bit like a cave in this large area in the Marl Plateau. So he takes a rock and he throws it inside the crevice. And lo and behold, he hears or pottery shattering. Well, hello, he's a little boy, he's got to check that out. So Mike tells us that um, he went in, he investigated that, that area, and uh, what he discovered was rolls of leather. And he thought to himself, the leather's going to be a great gift for my dad. So he takes the leather rolls, puts them in his pocket, makes his way back to Bethlehem, 35 miles back the other way with stupid sheep. And when he gets home, he gives the, um, the, the rolls of leather to his dad. And he was telling his dad he wanted the leather to make shoes. He wanted his dad to use the leather to make shoes. So the dad takes the leather to the local cobbler, or shoemaker. So the shoemaker takes the leather, he unrolls it, and discovers that there's something written on it. The shoemaker is of the Hebrew sect during the day called the Essenes. It's spelled E-S-S-E-N-E, -E, if anybody's interested. I had to look it up. It was a, it was a very conservative, all-male, very rule-following sect of the Jewish faith, and they didn't want to be in Jerusalem, so they partnered off and 
they, they made these homes in these caves. And so it's believed that the Essenes are the ones who uh, wrote all these scrolls out. Well, this cobbler, by divine intervention, by coincidence, whatever you want to call it, recognized the script as Aramaic because he was of the Essene Jewish sect that is no longer around, but he was trained in that because of his family. So he recognizes the Aramaic and he realizes what it is. So I'm not exactly sure what all the path was, but somehow the cobbler gets the scrolls to an antiquities dealer. The cobbler was a little bit of an antiquities nut himself, but he got it to an antiquities dealer who then got them to the um, uh, a professor in Jerusalem. So once they figured what was happening here, they of course started the excavation. And again, in the 10 caves in that area, 10, 10 more caves, the 11 caves total, they collectively found 800 to 900 manuscripts. It is believed that many manuscripts were taken over the years, so it's, it's incredible that they found what they did. So the importance of the discovery of these scrolls is that they validate the accuracy of the Bible. So far in the scrolls found, all of the books of the Old Testament, again, except Esther, poor Esther, uh, were accounted for. They predate Christ, and they show that the text of the Old Testament has not been changed, and it's been very faithfully preserved. That's very important to us as Christians. So in February of 2017, more caves were discovered. Mike didn't tell us this. I went and looked it up online. More caves were discovered, and they found large um, pottery jars, again, full of scrolls that were blank. So it, it, was, it appeared as though they were going to be using those scrolls at some point. So the exploration continues today, and hopefully more discoveries will be made. So, bringing you back to the miracles. What are the miracles here? Miraculously, we find 2,200-year-old 2, scrolls in storage by a shepherd boy from Bethlehem who discovered them. They make it into the hands of someone who can read an unspoken and unused language today, and it answers one of the most asked questions of Christians today. How do you know that what we, what's written in the Bible is real? So, miracle number one. Hello, 2,200 years in storage? Seriously? Does anybody have anything that's going to last 2,200 years except for maybe a Twinkie or something like that? Plastic, duct tape, I don't think anything is going to preserve that. Then you have shepherds. A shepherd boy discovered this. If you'll recall, in Luke 2, 8 through 11... It was written, and there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks by night. The angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. They were afraid, but the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today, in the city of David, a Savior has been born to you, and he is Christ the Lord. So the delivery of the message of Jesus' birth was given to a shepherd boy, and now the delivery of our scrolls uh, were given to a shepherd boy. So here near Jericho is this shepherd boy who, guess where he's from? Bethlehem. Okay, thank you, Sherry. <laughs> Bethlehem, same place Jesus was born. I hope y'all are following the miracles here. Um, so, uh, and then somehow these scrolls make it into the hands of people who recognize their value, and they relinquish them, I'm sure, for money, but to people who can assess their value, their worth, their credibility, and then they present them for the world to study. Um, and so now we can definitively exclaim the truth of the Bible because of the recognition of the Dead Sea Scrolls and kind of what treasure they hold. So, yeah, what a beautiful story of miracles. 
Uh, one other thing about miracles in this area of the world that is unrelated to this story, but a miracle nonetheless, is really how the Christians, the Muslims, and the Jewish people all live together pretty much in harmony. It's so unlike anything that we expect because we're not seeing that part. But they live in perfect harmony. As we stood in Jericho and many of the places, uh, you could hear the call to prayer from the Muslim the speakers all over the um, community, and it was actually so beautiful to stop and listen to that. So that's my story of miracles. So now on to Jericho. <clears throat> so from, from Qumran, we drove north to Jericho. It's really maybe only about 10 to 12 mile uh, journey. It's fairly close. And I took a couple of pictures uh, out of the bus. Um, you're looking north now into the, the, the background is the Jujain Desert. And in the foreground are palm trees. Um, Jericho was known as the city of palms. And, um, I, and it was really strikingly beautiful, that, that stark green against the, the, barren, the barren rock. And um, as we approach Jericho from the south, you can see the city in the background. On the left is the Judean wilderness and the Mount of Temptation, where Jesus was led and tempted by the devil. Uh, and on the right side, you can't quite see it, but that's where the Jordan River would flow from the Sea of Galilee into the Dead Sea. And of course, in the foreground, you can also see a lot more of the, uh, of the trees. So <clears throat> Jericho is kind of a crossroads. Uh, Jericho is a crossroads. If you're coming from the Galilean area, you would go down the Jordanian Valley, and you would, you would uh, enter Jericho, and from there, hang a right up, in, up into the valley into Jerusalem. Um, but it's also, if you're coming from the east, you have to skirt the Dead Sea, and then you have to move across uh, the northern end of Dead Sea, and then you hit to Jericho, and that's, that's where the um, Israelites came up after the Exodus. When they crossed the river, uh, they confronted and captured uh, the town of Jericho. And in Joshua 6, 1 through 5, we, see, we read, Now Jericho was tightly shut up because of the Israelites. No one went in, in or out, and no one came in. Then the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands, along with its king and its fighting men. March around the city once with all the armed men. Do this for six days. Have seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horns in front of the ark. On the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. When you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpets, have all the people give a loud shout, then the wall of the city will collapse and the people will go up, every man straight in. And, and Joshua goes on to explain that's exactly what they did. And by the God, God's hand, uh, Jericho fell to the Israelites. So as we enter the city... Um, you can see this, uh, uh, one of the claim to fame of Jericho is the oldest city in the world. Uh, here in this little park uh, is a fountain, and, and Jericho is known for its fountains. That's why, uh, that's why the community started there in this desert. In the background, you can see the hills, and that's Tel Jericho, or Tel El, uh, uh, I forgot the, the other name, but it's, it's, Hebrew. it's the old city of Jericho. Um, the other claim to fame of Jericho is it is the lowest place on earth. 
at 1,300 feet below sea level. So it's not actually the lowest place. That would be the Dead Sea, but it's close. At we, we know that's feet right because it's written in tile. Sea, it's written in mosaic yeah, tile right so there. So it's got to be right. And it also says it's 10,000 years old. And I think uh, I've read where it's, they date it as much as 11,000 years ago. The, the longest continu continuously populated uh, city in the world. So it was, it was a pretty cool uh, place to be. Um, and here's another very famous thing. Our friend Jason is holding what? A banana. A banana. What, what, why is this banana special, Pastor Sherry? The best it's banana the in the best world. best banana in the world, as Mike told us routinely through the whole trip. When we get to Jericho, you're going to have the best bananas in the world. So we did have bananas, of course, while we went there. <clears throat> so we're, we're climbing up the Tell now, and Tell is an Arabic word which means hill. In archaeological terms, Tell means it, it's, a, it's an old ancient city that's been inhabited for centuries when, and then they'll get conquered, and they'll build on top of that. That city will be destroyed by a natural and that'll be, so it's gradually built up over a hill, and you can tell that we're, we're, you know, it's pretty good elevation that we climbed up to this hill. And they do believe that this is the original Jericho, the Jericho of which um, Joshua and the Israelites conquered. You can see um, in the excavations that the, that the walls go very, very deep, uh, and, it's, and it's a really interesting Set. You can also see the palms and the greenery around it, so we're sitting up on a hill. We're actually looking out to the Mound of Temptation now, and the, this picture is not the greatest, but right at the top of the green trees, you can almost pick out a little tower. That tower is actually a gondola. You can take a gondola from Jericho up to the, the monastery that's at the top of the Mount of Temptation. So it's a little bit commercialized, but otherwise it's pretty cool. And uh, this is one of the most famous uh, uh, figures in the, in the old city, uh, which is the Tower of Jericho. They date this tower back to 8,000 BC. So this city has been there a long, long time and really felt like this is, could have been the place where Joshua and the Israelites first came over. But, but Jericho is also found in the New Testament we know that Jesus went through there. Um, one of the first story we have from Luke 19, 1 through 10, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was chief tax collector and he was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, He has gone to be to the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here I am now. I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is the son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. So this picture is, uh, well, it's the back of Ramona, yeah. uh, but it's also the, hey, the town of Jericho, so we're still standing on the tell 
on the old city of Jericho, looking out over the new modern city of Jericho, see the palm trees? Um, and if you look way in the back, the picture's not the best, but in the very way back, you can see brown mountains, and that's actually the kingdom of um, Jordan. Uh, and, and just a few miles in from there, there's a little green swath, and that is the Jordan River Valley. Uh, so Jesus would have come up the Jordan River Valley into Jericho, and, uh, and we know that he also performed miracles in Jericho. In Mark 10, chapter 46, they came to Jericho as he and his disciples and a large crowd were leaving Jericho. Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus, a blind beggar, was sitting by the roadside. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many sternly ordered him to be quiet, but he cried out even more loudly, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stood still and said, call him here. And they called the blind man, saying to him, take heart, get up, he is calling you. So throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. Then Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? The blind man said to him, my teacher, let me see again. Jesus said to him, go, your faith has made you well. Immediately he regained his sight and followed him on the way. That's a nice miracle. It is a nice miracle. Yeah, and same. we are definitely were walking in Jesus' steps then. There's also one other uh, sight to see in Jericho, and that was a very friendly and loving camel. The kissing camel. Was not keeping kissing social Katrina. distance. One, there was, we didn't have to follow social distance rules back mm -hmm. then. So Katrina wasn't really sure about that. Cherry's reaction was just a little bit more dramatic. And she <laughs> didn't like that. Oh, Pastor Wynn, Wynn was all in. She's a giver. Pastor Wynn is a giver. So she really took one for the team there. So uh, as we left uh, Jericho, <clears throat> then we went down to the Jordan River because it's really only about four miles from Jericho where the traditional site uh, of Jesus' uh, baptism by John the Baptist and yes, you've seen this picture a bunch of times by Pastor Tom, Pastor Sherry, and others. And the water is that muddy. By the way, I have water, uh, little jars of the Sea of Galilee, of the Dead Sea, and the Jordan River. And it's actually clear because the sediment does settle and it is clear water. But there, not so much. But we had an amazing baptism renewal uh, by Pastor Sherry and Pastor Wynn while we were there. And from Matthew 3, 13 through 15, Then Jesus came from the Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? Jesus replied, Let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. We were truly blessed by our pastors for that um, baptism renewal on the Jordan River. I'm going to talk a little bit about, so this is a picture of the Dead Sea. 
this is the, the park where you walk all the way down to the bottom of the Dead Sea. It's around 1,450 feet below sea level, lowest place on Earth. Um, and I when I was there, I thought, you know, Jesus went through Jericho and the disciples on the way to Jerusalem. And don't you think maybe one of the disciples said, hey, Jesus, why don't we just walk down a few miles and float in this ocean? I heard it's fun. And you could just hear, you know, Jesus saying, okay, fine, we'll go float in the Dead Sea. <laughs> um, it's a great time. We had, we had a really lovely time there. So we want to uh, close with just a couple of stories about some people we met in Bethlehem and in Jerusalem. So Jesus ate with all kinds of people, and being good Methodists that we are, we love to eat with all kinds of people. So interestingly, we got to celebrate dinners with two very unusual families. The first, not, they're not weird, I don't mean it like that. I said that wrong. Unusually, we got to spend time with families that we would not ordinarily have gotten to spend time with. Um, so the first was, uh, you'll see in this picture all the way to the right, the man in the picture. He escorted us to his family home, which was in the West Bank. Now, you have to know, crossing from any other part of Israel into the West Bank, you have to go through gates and guards and questions are asked, and you have to have permission to go. So um, most West Bank inhabitants are not allowed in, in Israel without special permission. And they're not allowed to drive there. That's right. And um, most, because most of them are Muslim, but there are Christians trapped within the, I say trapped, literally trapped within the West Bank. Bethlehem is in the West Bank. So our beautiful Christian city of Bethlehem is surrounded by Muslims. They all live peaceably, but there aren't many there. Um, so that's what we call Palestine. And um, it's by the infamous the wall. The West Bank, yeah. Yeah, so take a second, kind of wrap your brain around all of that. We're in Bethlehem surrounded by Muslims, with a Palestinian family who's Christian. And it's surrounded by walls that it separate was, the West Bank from I can't Israel. even begin yeah. to, the Venn diagram is unbelievable to follow if you do all that. So that call to prayer I was telling you about, it rings out very loudly and very predictably, and I have to say very, very beautifully. I found myself stopping to listen to the call to prayer every time we, we heard it. So our host, He's allowed to pass through the gate as needed because he works for a travel company and tourism industry as a guide. And so um, we weren't stopped at the gate entrance coming in because he was escorting us. His mother, father, and wife then prepared a beautiful traditional Israeli meal for us, which included hummus, hummus fresh vegetable salads, a fabulous chicken, um, and then their notable pita bread. So in the course of that evening, we had a great discussion. We talked about education and politics and West Bank and Palestine and everything. And uh, it, was, it was such a brilliant conversation that I ordinarily would not have had an opportunity to partake in had it not been for this lovely family offering to host us. Um, the thing that came out of it was that there would be there's hope that eventually they would be free to move about the country any way they wanted to do it without restriction. So trust me when I say it is complicated, historically, culturally, religiously, you name it. So then a few nights later, we were hosted by another family in Jerusalem. And they were originally from the United States. Uh, the husband was a rabbi uh, who was employed by the government of Israel and his job is to promote and market Judaism in his country and in other countries. They had five kids. 
Um, Five, six, seven, do you remember? A lot. A lot lot of kids. kids. (laughs) And one of the reasons they chose to move to Israel was to have their children raised in Jewish education systems and to be immersed in their uh, faith. Um, We were also told that any Jew in the world anywhere can become a, a citizen of Israel. All they have to do is go through the process, and they're automatically a citizen. So they fed us a traditional Jewish meal, uh, and then the rabbi proudly rolled out his beautiful scroll of the Torah, uh, and it's, it's stored. There's a picture here of the, this is the cabinet that it's stored in. It was quite intricate, but the Torah was huge. He had to hold it in two hands, and he opened up the roll. Um, it's very ornate. It's ceremonial. And what he, what he told us was that young Jewish men are responsible for writing their own copy of the Torah. So they can either write it themselves or they can hire somebody to do it. But they, they all have their own copy, and they keep it in their homes. And they traditionally store it in something that looks like this. He pulls back that, uh, that cover, and it's this beautiful cabinet. This massive double scroll is, is in. So really, it was just such an amazing opportunity to kind of hear the history and prognostics of the future, if I can say that word, from two very devout but very different belief systems somehow coexisting together. That in and of itself is also a miracle. So um, those are the miracles. Do you have anything to add? No. It was such a blessing to be on the trip, and we're truly blessed to have our two pastors escort us. Who were they? Oh, Sherry and Wynn, that's right. The, the women kissing the camels are... Oh, that's right, that's right. So um, I would like to... Oh, and by the way, I should have said Sababa. That's how I was supposed to start out. Sababa is a happy greeting. Sababa. Um, and for those of you who are here tonight, I have a prize for you at the end. I got, I got a prize. That was something Mike would always say. I'm going to give you a prize. Yeah, prize. So I'm going to give you all a prize. So can we close in a word of prayer, please? Father, thank you for the opportunity for us to gather in this new and unusual way. We are aware of so many blessings today and recognize that they outnumber our trials. Help us to remember that when our anxiety gets high, you have lived all of us, all of this before us. You've taken our worry, fear, and struggles on yourself, and we will overcome it through your mercy and grace. Thank you so much for the opportunity to travel with our amazing Bethany family and walk in your steps. I pray we are able to share this small but impactful part of Israel with our family here in Bethany. We're humbled by your example, death, and resurrection. And as we come closer to Easter, we pray you will remind us daily and moment by moment that you have overcome this world and we can lean on you to help us through the tribulations of the day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.